Hey everybody, it's Waterman. Before we get to the episode, we just wanted to take a moment to let you know about the Mosaic Learning Architect Academy, hosted by Izzy and Nicole. I'll let Nicole give you all the details, then we'll jump right into the episode. Hey there, teachers. Take your teaching practice to the next level with the Mosaic Learning Architect Academy. Our four-day in-person learning experience is designed to help you create engaging, student-centered lessons that are aligned with the latest research and best practices. With Mosaic Instructional Planning, you'll receive support for each day's activities and long-term planning success. Our system is designed to help you create lessons that are not only effective, but also fun and engaging for your students. We believe that learning should be experiential and hands-on. That's why our academy is designed to be interactive with plenty of opportunities for you to try out new teaching strategies and techniques. But the real magic of the Mosaic Learning Architect Academy is the community you'll join. You'll be part of a network of passionate educators from all over the world, sharing ideas, collaborating on projects, and building relationships that will last long after the academy ends. And when you complete the academy, you'll earn certification as a Mosaic Learning Architect, demonstrating your mastery of the latest teaching strategies and techniques. Join us today. Register at the link in our bio. Welcome to the only brother-sister podcast built for teachers, by teachers, dumplings over flowers. I'm the sister, Nicole. And I'm the brother, Izzy. And this podcast is here to take you on a backstage tour of our combined 50 years of experience teaching so that we can help you recognize and celebrate substance over appearance. Or dumplings Dumplings over over flowers. flowers. Yeah. Well, Waterman, spin the wheel. Hey, from New York. And hello from the great state of Texas. <laughs> We're here today to talk about a very special problem. <laughs> what? What? No, Not enough barbecue in your barbecue sauce? No, hey, I got plenty of barbecue in my sauce. You just sounded like um, you were at the beginning of your infomercial. Yeah. Um, well, I tried something different since you kind of let us off and... Boy, has this gone wrong. I like it. Sure you do. My barbecue sauce needs more, 33% more barbecue. There you go. Well, welcome. What can you do for us? I I mean, it should be soy sauce of some sort, right? Welcome to Dumplings Over Flowers. Garlic Um, sauce. We've made it to episode 13. Um, And this is kind of a unique one. This is a special one. Yeah, it's a very special dumplings. Yeah. It's like um, it's like when you branch out and you choose something other than pork. Um, you know, it's like a you know what? I'm doing the shrimp dumpling. I'm gonna go Never for heard it. Of it. Never heard Don't of it. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. I'd never good heard stuff. of it. However, remember the shrimp wonton in the soup at oh in Flushing at Fishhead Central. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine the name of the place, but yeah. Ever. Um, uh, nor it was like two dollars. Uh, honestly, yeah, that was worth being skeeved out. Um, <laughs> sorry, is that politically correct? Um, no, no, it's no. not. All right, well, deal with it. It was, uh, you know, a, a very authentic Chinese place, uh, Chinese food place, and um, yeah, a little too authentic for me. I don't like things alive in my meal. And or 
the heads of things dead in my meal. Um, those things, that does not excite me. So we get the soup and it was not hoof claw, but it yeah, was, was gonna say, people. I so mean, you qualified with le- go listen to the episode. Things. You know why I forged through. Okay. It's not, uh, it's not the same. No, not definitely same. not the same, but that soup. Oh my God. Those shrimp dumplings. Ooh, so good. So good. Little Speaking explosion, of sp- little shrimp volcano. Oh, speaking of special dumplings, last episode, uh, we talked about very passionately, apparently, I was getting a lot of feedback, um, didn't mean to come off strong, Blew but actually Twitter. didn't mean to come off strong, um, because it, it is that, and it's, it's an important piece of the puzzle is to realize that um, we're not laborers, we are craftsmen, and and we're right. as teachers, we're looking to hone that craft and constantly think about it. And one of the things that was mentioned that um, that we got some suggestions to expound on was the idea that if we're going to um, really see this as a craft, we have to rely on a, a bell-to-bell methodology. That's the way we say it. It just simply means start a starting place of, of how we get kids involved to an ending place of how we adequately and appropriately assess them and did they learn and, you know, did they pick up what we were putting down? And so um, Nicole felt strongly that this was going to be an episode where we can kind of like take a minute, go off wheel, if you will. Um, and if you're new to the program, um, you can listen back to episode one and understand why and where we got that from. And um, and just think about that methodology, right, and talk it through uh, from the vantage point of, like, if I'm really thinking through my craft, how do I... Um, yeah, what does it look like? Teeth to it. Yeah, sure. One of the pieces of feedback that I got was, that's so amazing. And I, I listened and I sat down and said, you know what? I'm going to do that too. And then that person right. said, but I didn't know what to do. So... <laughs> All right. So let's you go come, through it. Well, you let's come to the right it. place. Uh, the viewer yeah. mail is just pour- pouring in. Um, viewer mail. <laughs> what Water, was that? That's where Waterman is right now. What What was that viewer mail? Like, um, is that a thing? That was on a show, a viewer mail. I mean, it might have been on a million shows. Viewer mail. Yeah, it was. But it was something very specific and very exciting. Yeah. Viewer mail. Um, not to be confused with Blue's Clues. Like, uh, mail's maybe here, mail's here. We just got a letter. <laughs> I, you, you have no we idea how often I either hum, whistle, or sing that song. We just got a letter. I wonder who it's from. So, uh, from w- Waterman out of Dallas, Texas. <laughs> dear, right. dear Dumplings, um, what is the bell-to-bell methodology that I should be using? I'm glad you asked, Waterman. Well, wait. So, let's let's before you get into the methodology specifically, let's yeah. think about this. So, we're going to talk about, on this special off-wheel episode, our methodology that you can also find in our um, planning platform, Mosaic, kind of walking you through, making those choices about, or thinking intentionally about what Mm -hmm. choices to make to, um, you know, really think about intentionally planning for all of your students and all the experiences you want to have, right? Right. Um, But before we get to that, we want to first point out a couple of things because I am a very tactile person. I'm a very... um, Mm -hmm. 
uh, hands-on kinesthetic, like I need to color code this. Right. Write it out, make a map. I call it a map, but it's really just like doodles and whatever. So however you want to do this, guys, guys, Guys. um, that's up to you. And it sounds, it's great. It's all great. But I think that the central overarching thought should kind of work the way that you would work it in a company, like how a company sets a vision, you know, um, and a mission for the year. Okay. Also a great thing to do with kids. Um, so successful for me in garnering, um, not just respect, but also like, uh, like building a, building a community and getting that buy-in around like, what do we stand for as a class? You know, and they're like, uh, I stand for like lunch, you know? Um, but thinking about like how to do that is, really important. So I think just formulate what you stand for. What are you going to make your decisions based on for us and for our company and for our own personal teaching philosophies? It's equity. It's access. It's making sure that the most students have the easiest path to information. Yeah. And by tailoring your lesson and by tailoring lesson plans, and it also fits to our definitions Um, Again, I keep referencing earlier episodes, so this might be a repeat for you, but the idea of what rigorous and engaging instruction really is, um, and that it's rooted in the idea of of having students internalize their own meaning of content, getting them to uh, collaborate and explore multiple pathways to opinions or solutions to kind of create their own personal process and then applying those processes and those that new understanding in new and varied situations. Um, and that is really, if we backward design the thinking here, that's the goal is how do we take students out of academic context, put them into a real world context and see them still use those skills. So that's where the methodology really stems from and comes from. Um, And and that's really ground zero, the most important piece of this this puzzle. Um, So we're wanting to let students experience ways in which they can be successful in every situation, not to mathify this, but I have always said, I'm not trying to teach a student how to solve a problem, but how to approach any problem. And if we think of it in that context, that's what the bell to bell methodology is all about. Uh, you don't take that. If you just added a mathify waterman, take it out because that is not just a math concept. Wow. I'm doing the that's same thing, calling. teaching. Leave it in. Teaching. Water. Take it out. <laughs> all right. He's already given me the okay. He's leaving it in. Hmm. I'm just can't win with this guy. No, (laughs) it's not a math concept. It's, it's an everything concept. You know, I'm not teaching my students how to approach, how to write um, an essay that can be written by AI. No, I'm teaching them how to teach AI, how to write a good essay. There you go. Ooh, (laughs) nice. All right. Any overarching thoughts before we uh, begin, Nicole? Just that one about equity and access, you know, the, those good. little things. Mission, mission and vision, right? Um, your mission and vision uh, for your students. And um, and it's something that, that can be shared. It's something that could be developed in such a way that maybe with the students early on that they feel the buy-in, but you're, as a teacher, of course, leading the conversation and leading them it could also, to, this, to the moment. Sorry to step on you, but it mm-hmm. could also be um, a great time to model. So for, for us... Mm-hmm. 
right? The vision is that we are giving, making content rigorous and engaging for all students in any learning environment. Teacher, yes. So that then that's the vision, right? So then the mission then for us becomes how like the steps that we take to equip teachers to be able to do that. And for us, our mission is to make that process of decision making clear, accessible for all teachers. Yeah. Um, and, and relevant for all teachers. So think about it in terms of that. If I can just model for a second, you know, the, the vision is the thing that's going to be done at the end. Um, and then the mission is the steps you're going to take to get there. I read a great thing about reflection a while ago and it was, um, it was about the idea that we can't do any reflecting unless we have an image of what the final piece Mm. should look like. Yeah. And we can't do any. Right. So it's like the ideal. And then, you know, you kind of, you have something to compare it to. The example. Um, So, yeah. So I think that, that, that that's often where we stumble and say, you know, at the end of the school year or at the end of an experience or a unit or, you know, whatever, even in your life, right. Mm -hmm. At the end of like a Mm -hmm. season or something, when you think about reflecting, you have to know what you're reflecting against, right. what you're looking at. So simple, but vision. so un, underserved, if you will. Um, totally. Well, agree. yeah, it's, it's not always that clear for everyone. It's not as explicit as that, and it, it should be. So if you're going to be able to set a vision right now for what your school year is going to look like in the fall, mm-hmm. you will always have a checkpoint and a benchmark. And, yep. uh, you know, am I making this decision based on that vision? Yep. I can reflect against it. That's good. And and really, in this day and age of uh, there's a lot of opinions and a lot of voices in our head, it's hard to remember that. Um, and so you need that source of truth, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it certainly can you know, mold and shape and, and change as you reflect. Um, but uh, see what you did there overarching, you know, and, and some absolutes are absolutely necessary. This is the story of a girl who cried. What? Absolutely. I love that song. I did it. Yeah, no, I, I do too. Can't get out of my head. All right, let's go. Talk about a great song. Let's go. Um, I'll, let's popcorn this. All right, I'll take the 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 first. We've narrowed this down to five E's. Um, you'll if you're a STEM person uh, or STEAM, even you probably have familiar in some way, shape, or form at least with the idea that there are five E's out there to plan with. Um, I know here in Texas, that's a huge um, push in the sciences. Is everything is planned around the five E's. Um, we've taken the same philosophy and the same approach um, and really applied it to all content. And with that- Oh my that, gosh, we've uh, demathified it. Uh, it's truth. And we, we sure did. And we've taken that same approach and thought it through um, through the lens of being able to apply to every content. Um, in every area. And, and what we found was, speaking of mathifying it, is that those five E's that are meant to be more of a, of a STEM model are every model. And, mm-hmm. and so it's just, it's just good teaching and learning. So it's the first business. one, 
the first one is how do we enter students into the content conversation? Now, um, a lot of times that's confused with engage, engagement, and there's there's a, a definition of engagement that can include um, the idea of being riveted and being brought into the conversation because you know you know something's on fire or there's something you know, the volcano blows up, um, and just because I'm watching that and I'm engaged in that moment of time and it's quiet in the room, um, you know that's. It, that doesn't mean that I'm intellectually engaged and I'm involved and I'm enter. So that's why we changed it to entry. How do we enter the students into the content conversation? Now, one of the most important pieces of that is, is how it speaks to the ways in which we can uh, differentiate uh, the small and whole group in that point. And we work a lot, um, Nicole, this is probably a really great time to also not, no shameless uh, plug, do a no shame plug. A lot of people do shameless plugs, you know? We should do a no shame plug during this episode Shameless at some point. and no shame, I think, are the All same. All the same time. Word. Uh, whatever. Okay. There you go, English for what? again. Plug for what? Uh, for for our academy, where all this is really birthed out of. Um, and our academy and and the ways in which we we very intentionally, very specifically training each part of this then is supported by Mosaic, as Nicole mentioned, uh, the product of Mosaic. So um, at the end of this, uh, maybe we'll get Waterman to put something up and really, you know, move people towards the dates of that academy and give them an option to uh, even sign up and, and get involved. Um, it is it is life-changing work if you are a craftsman of teaching. It so is. when we talk about entry into the content conversation, we include um, certain strategies in there. Um, here's what I would say to that. The most important piece, no matter what you do, the most important part of it is that you find a way to involve and give voice and particularly some choice, but most importantly, voice to every student in your room upon entering the content for the day. So if you're talking about, um, if you're talking about ways in which they can, um, get involved and have, have a, a feeling of motivation. One of the definitions that we use of engagement is the idea of active learning and motivation. It's the product of those two things. So when we are, are doing that, we've found in our work that there's nothing more motivating than having a chance, than having a say, than having a choice, and then ultimately having voice in that conversation. So um, entry, into the content conversation will include voice, choice, and will provide the kind of motivation that would be uh, such that every student can be involved. Um, and we use multiple entry point lesson starters for that process. That'll be another pod for another day, or maybe that just- Or you can just the, catch it in our academy. Yeah, um, in the academy but, alone. Mm -hmm. So if I were writing down right now with my, my color-coded pens, right, entry- um, I just want to highlight the distinction between engaging students with a hook, anticipatory set, motivation, phenomena, you know, whatever we call it in the beginning to really grab their attention. Mm -hmm. That can still exist within our version of yeah, engagement and, and entry. Um, because the, the distinction is the active, is the process of creating engagement, which is the product of, of motivation yeah. and active learning. That's so it. that's the motivation part. Like, oh, kids, we're going to, um, you know, I have this cool rap video up for you because I know what the kids like, right? 
and we're going to really talk about iambic pentameter today. Surprise, bait and switch. It's not that. It's also active learning from the second that they walk in the door. Mm -hmm. That's really what engagement should be. So that's why we kind of changed it to entry. Yep. So just make sure we're attending to always active learning, not just like getting them to get in the door and, and want to be there and, yeah. you know. And that, and that could still speak to um, prior knowledge. It could still, there's, there's so much about it. So none of, none, we've yet to meet um, a workshop or a group of teachers that, that can't adapt their practice to what we're talking about very seamlessly and very easy. Um, so, but just, just to make sure we're clear, this is not a change in, in like too many, uh, processes. It's just more of a mindset of how are we getting all students involved, um, at one point and at one time. Um, yeah. And it's maybe a change in organization yeah. for some. Yeah. Because, you know, when we think about the, the bell to bell experience, entry is first, but when we think about planning, evaluations first, mm -hmm. evaluation of learning is right. first. Sure. So it, it might just be a, a mind shift for the order. Yeah. No, that's good. Last thing about entry that I, I want to just bring out is that, um, you know, it's the first step and here's where the training comes in really, really strong. It's the first step in shifting from a, a teacher centered model to a student directed model. Mm, because good, yeah. the well-written entry will will be the teaching points that you're looking to bring out as the teacher, but it will be fueled by the answers and the conversation being had by the students. So none of the, you know, it becomes that mini lesson type of, of strategy or thing. Um, there could always be room for, for some some direct instruction for some, you know, the need for some outlier times of really uh, attending to misconceptions, things like that, that might still need to take place. But in its raw form, a well-crafted entry is the shift, is the start of the shift from teacher-directed and centered instruction to student-directed instruction, using their language, their voice, their answers to guide the the really the 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 deepening of understanding and the internalizing of meaning for the students. Number and two, giving them a choice. No, and yeah. Giving them a choice well, right when they walk in. Them a choice is a part of the multiple entry point process that we create. But even if we don't give them a choice, if they walked into one, it still needs to then encapsulate all of that. All right. So once we have kind of gone through that process and given students voice, what do we do with that voice then that they do have, Nicole? Well, the great news is um, we've now given them the power, the empowerment that they need to be able to take their voice and mm -hmm. add it to other voices right? through an exploration of the content mm -hmm. that involves multiple perspectives, multiple pathways to a solution potentially, right? Mm -hmm. And hearing um, the voices of others so that they can then develop a personal process out yep. of the process of the group. Yep. So, so what it attends to in, in exploration, and this is another thing that we train when we, when we get into this deep, we talk about the idea of posting and posting is thinking, uh, thinking through the lens of, of purpose, outcome, strategy, and time. You did and it. So, he gave it away. He gave it away for free. 
you know, this is our faithful listeners, Nicole. I have no issues here. Um, So when we talk about an exploration of content and adding many voices to the conversation, it has to be meaningful and purposeful, or we end up getting a bunch of posters that, that the kids can't even speak to. Um, there's no real, real purpose behind it. They didn't know why they were doing it. They just knew they had to do it. Um, or and- we walk into rooms where we see desks in pods of four and they're, yep. you know, supposedly doing group work, but everybody no hands reason. in their own question and make sure you're responsible for handing in your own work at the end of this period. Right. And it's like, there's no purpose behind that. Why, Correct. why would we ever have kids yep. working together? We need to think about those, those reasons why and make decisions based on one of them. Yeah. So we what we're say, not, okay. go ahead. So what we're not going to do there, no, my bad, um, is, is I don't think we're going to get too deep now into all the, the rest of that story, but we've narrowed it down to four purposes. Um, we've narrowed it down to then, um, bringing out certain outcomes. So we're kind of creating an objective inside of the lesson. It's the, it's the objective to serve the objective. And then we look at strategies and we've brought that down to a taxonomy, a proprietary taxonomy that we use that is in a kind of a kind of a Ted Lasso-y um, bullseye kind of barbecue sauce moment where we're trying to get to the middle. Um, if you don't know the episode and the and the, the thing, you better watch it. Um, barbecue sauce. It's the, the no, I greatest do. I'm just scene. wondering why, why um, Ted Lasso. Because it was because I just thought of Ted. It's, he's shooting darts, so it's a it's like a dartboard looking uh, taxonomy that takes the strategies and it moves them from teacher directed into student directed. Um, and so it's so talking in those terms. It's not like where we we train and we just say, hey, that's what should happen. Um, it's it's that's what should happen, and here's how it can happen. And so that's the strategy piece. And then always. Um, the effective use of time, especially with collaborative experiences, is critical to student success and to student outcomes. Critical because most of I the do time, wanna, I do want to say right now that thinking about it in that way and using post is where we run into a couple things. One, it's like um, when you're planning something and you you have this really intricate, great idea. Wait, this might just be a personal story. I've always planned things that are like oh, this very abstract idea. It's going to be so great. And I'm going to have the kids do this thing and then they're going to work over here. And then it's like, I have a beautiful mind shed about, you know, one activity. And then I realize, wait a minute, practically, how am I going to do that? Or then what? You know, there's no reason for that. So post is the point where you might run into your tried and true, just a trigger warning. You might run into something that you go, oh, well, I do this and it doesn't fit into post. What do we do then? What do we say about that? You need to re- reconsider your purpose. Uh-huh. If you are building an activity or crafting some, an exploration that is not going to be purposeful, not going to have a clear outcome, mm-hmm. and you don't have a clear strategy to use while you're doing it, well, maybe yeah. it's not worth doing, or maybe it has to be tweaked a little bit or refined a little bit. If I can jump in there, because I think what the scenario you painted is good. And you said you do have a tried and true. So even if you have a tried and true, um, I would, I would suggest that you need to look at your outcome. Um, a lot of times, one of the things that we coach when we're talking with younger, um, less experienced teachers is the idea that the outcome of an exploration strategy does not need to be a conclusion. It can, and sometimes should 
just be used to create more questions or to experience others' processes so that I can deepen and develop further develop my own. I don't need a lot of time for that. It doesn't need to be a full-on activity that's going to reach a conclusion. All right. So we talked entry into the into the content conversation, which is meant to internalize meaning of the content from the start of class for everyone, giving voice to every student. We have plenty of strategies and great training on how, but let's just keep that at the top level of this is what we're doing. Then we take those voices, we combine them with purpose and on on purpose um, with a very clear expected outcome. Um, and then from there, we're into the third E, which is a an example, right? What examples, this speaks to the teacher now, what examples for learning can you give and craft so that students can self-reflect on how much knowledge they've gained on the content? Self-reflect is everything. Yep. So- Can I, can I just- yeah. Because I didn't get to finish. I said there are two things oh, my that bad. happen when you make a post. That's okay. I know you're really passionate about the ease. You're ecstatic. I'm passionate even. about everything lately. Go on. Yeah. Take that. I said go sir. on. Ah. <laughs> so thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, you're going to maybe run into the scenario where you have to rethink or tweak or, you know, whatever. But also the sense of relief you feel about the rest of your lesson after you've thought through the purpose, outcome, strategy, and time your exploration is going to take, that's going to lead you really seamlessly. You're going to feel as a planner, as a teacher, as someone who's thinking about each and every child in your room, you're going to feel this sense of relief and ease about thinking about the examples that that we're going to give to students so that they can self-reflect. You know, that's part of the reason that we don't do like these elaborate group strategies or these activities or let the kids self-assess, right, is because of the lack of control. But once you can, you can kind of um, satisfy that emotion and that craving by thinking about the post, right? It's like focus on the purpose, outcome, strategy, time, then you get to a really great example. Then you're like, hey, yeah, so I don't know. That's when you go, when kids go, what what was my, how am I doing in this class? And you go, uh, you tell me, how are you doing in this class? You know, now you really have a reason to say that because the criteria are there. Mm -hmm. They're established, whether it's a rubric, a checklist, you know, whatever it might be. Hey, so now that you've seen all of these different perspectives, you've worked together to do X, Y, and Z, now you're going to work independently and we are going to, um, you're going to produce an example. Go ahead. I see you. I see you. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just biting the skin off my lip. Um, so I, I got if, it. If you're not on video, watching on video. Um, so yes, yes. And, um, as we've learned in other podcast episodes, yes. And, um, what that requires then is for students to understand they're a part of this process. Um, right. and, and it requires them to do something that I call ACE, um, or ACER and it's to, to perform an action, to compare it to an exemplar. Okay. And then to edit or revise. So that right. is learning in a nutshell, 
But what we've done, if you think about and why we're stressing the methodology and being so intentional about it, is that we we haven't just thrust them into a situation where they're, um, you know, a lot of computer programs, particularly in math, not to mathify this any more than it has to be, but in particularly in math, you have a lot of repetition. And that repetition, you learn how to win the game versus learn how to learn. And so, and, and because of that, what we don't want to do, we want, we want to stress quality over quantity. Okay. We want to stress very intentional meaning and purpose behind the examples that you're going to cause students to do to then compare to uh, an exemplar or the exemplars could be, this is really a, a real differentiator if we're looking to improve student state test scores, because we get and have been given uh, across the boards, all of the exemplars in students' own writing. This is what a five looks like. This is what right. a three looks like. This is what a two looks like. And when they start seeing that over and over and over again, if you can imagine a hundred days of this, where students are entered into the conversation on purpose, get a voice, gain a voice from that, take that voice and add it to others to really explore uh, different vantage points, different opinions, different solution pathways, to then independently um, have that the real intentional practice by which they're looking at then their work versus an exemplar, it can't fail. It can't not work. I don't know if I'm taking a level one student and bringing them to a level four or five, but I know I'm going to see growth. End of story. Mm-hmm. Okay. The next piece of that puzzle is step four, which is our elaboration of learning. Elaboration of learning is... Um, directly connected to long-term retention. So if we're going to talk about uh, something that in the moment they can do, compare, revise, that's short-term. When we take time to elaborate on the learning, think through from the angles of both content understanding, skill development that's going to then lead to application right? So it's content, skill, and application. If we ask students on a daily to consider their choices as they were working through the content, consider the choices as they were applying it, consider the choices as the, and the, the ways they revised and shaped their work in their process, okay, that's an elaboration of learning that's going to last them much, much longer than, than the moment. Um, and, and you, so you see and great retention. You last you much longer too, much more bang for the buck. Uh-oh. Can I, oh, this is also intimately related to closure, right? Yeah, Lesson closure. It, it is, in, in essence, if you've heard the word closure, you, you're, you're speaking you're talking elaboration. About elaboration. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a good, you know, and, and you're like, yeah, in essence, you know, of course it is. But as a teacher, I never got closure, <laughs> never got to close every uh, observation, every, everything. Oh, that was amazing. Except I didn't see the closure. Yep. Um, to put it in those terms, when you think about putting the onus on the students as mm-hmm. the ones who are elaborating on you on the content, then you have reached closure if you're leading that conversation right. and discussion, right? Mm-hmm. So Um, I I think it's really important. I also want to just give a practical example of that elaboration because that's one for me that I feel like is a little abstract and hard to conceptualize and think about the application. So if I'm teaching a lesson, let's just say on, I don't know, um, 
using figurative language, right? Okay. Describing things with sensory sensory imagery and and using simile and metaphors and whatever. I'm going to want to kind of wrap this all up, right? I enter my kids, they they're making choices, they're they have voice, they're like, "Oh, yes, I know. I I I this is my example and this is what my favorite food smells like and tastes like and here's a poem about it." And no, mm -hmm. I I've, I've met with others to hear how they've personified their favorite food or how they've, mm -hmm. you know, used a, a hyperbole to describe how much they love their favorite food. And now I'm going to take all that and elaborate on this myself. You know, um, mm -hmm. I've looked at an example poem and, and I've compared my poem against it and said, yes, I've used all of these in the right way, right? Now I'm elaborating on my poem about my favorite food. I'm not just telling you about my favorite food. I'm not just reading my poem. I'm not just... And as a teacher, I'm not just asking, hey, who wrote a poem? Izzy, right. did you get five lines in? Let's hear it. Who wants to share today before we go? Oh, great. Right. So you see we're using... I'm asking questions like, I see, Izzy, that you used a hyperbole. Did you use a hyperbole in the beginning of, of class when I asked you to describe your favorite food? No, I used sensory imagery, details, whatever. Oh, great. Well, how did, why did you choose to put that in your final poem? Oh, right. well, because I saw, you know, Michaela do that in my group and I thought that was great. And so I, you know, we're talking about process. We're talking about skill. We're talking about application. And that does have an impact on long-term retention because of the ownership of it. Yep. When you're in, when you put students in a position to have to own it, that's the impact on long-term retention. So Absolutely. it's, it's applying Elaborate in new and various ways, right? So it's a piece in of that. public. So now the applying in new and various ways brings us to our final E, which is evaluation of learning. Correct. Yes, it is. Um, so in terms of, uh, you know, I want to jump backwards for one second before we get to yeah, evaluation yeah, yeah. and go back into um, uh elaboration slash closure slash whatever from the teacher's perspective, a very practical and easy way to look at this is, is the idea of an objective versus an aim. An objective is written, uh, Good so job. that we can, we can clearly state the what and the how, um, to students. But if we take that objective and we form it into a question that most of the time can be a great leading question for an elaboration. Did we conquer the goal for this day? Um, and so we don't, and it, it helps you to get some boundaries as well. So we're not asking um, things outside the limits of that objective. So we want to stay within the limits of the objective. And we want to make sure that, that the students understand that that objective was just crafted into a question that we can now answer. Were we able to do X, Y, and Z by doing X, Y, and Z, right? The what and the how. I think it's important to notice the what and the how, mm -hmm. because sometimes the aim is, you know, in the form of a question like aim, you know, um, what, how, how do we use figurative language? So yeah. I, I will be able to use figurative language to write a poem. Right. So if I asked my student that question, Izzy, did you use figurative language to write yeah, a poem? Yeah, it's too easy to yes, get to I know did. it. Yes, I did. Right? So yep. we need to also ask about the how. How did mm -hmm. you do that? What were the choices you made? Why right. did you do that? Like I, how does my, that compare to your exemplar? 
Exactly, exactly. And in, in the math world, again, I break it down the content process and application, content skill and application, sorry. Yeah. Um, and so when I think it through in those three ways, how did understanding the content help to develop the skill, which then led to the application? So speaking of, that's the evaluation of learning. So just quick recap, we entered students into the content conversation, ensuring that everyone had a voice in some way, shape or form. Then we take that voice, add it to others to develop or deepen or create a personal process in some way, shape, or form together collaboratively. Those two experiences should lead to enough understanding and, and ability, a skilled ability, to do an, an action on our own independently, of which we can then compare to what it should look like and really kind of self-evaluate where we are with this. It gives great, great, great ownership and, and agency to the students to say, I know I need to add more details. I know I need to do this step, this step, and this step to kind of step it up another notch. Uh, we take all that information, all that stuff, and we think it through the lens of an elaborative moment, a closure moment, and, and kind of reflection so that then we can appropriately and respectfully create an evaluation of learning. What do I now know and can do as a result of all that other information that came before it? This is not something that's formative. It's not, it, it can be used in such a way after the fact to be formative and, and adjust some planning ideas and adjust what the next day might look like. But in general, for the student, there has to be a, a time when they feel alone with the content so that the rest of the process that came before it, those four other E's, can be highlighted. Right. right? And it could be, see, we need to attend to all these things so that you're best equipped for this evaluative moment. We are teaching one thing and we're assessing the same thing in the same way. Um, and, and that way we're, we're in alignment because we're carefully considering what the standard is asking for. We're, we're crafting our objective around that. Our aim, everything's aligned and then we can evaluate appropriately. So to recap, right, we have our five E structure of planning a lesson and the way that we think about bell to bell methodology is different. I, I don't know if it's different, but I think it's a combination of, of all the best practices that we've seen over the years and all the research mm -hmm. and all the theory and um, just our own twist and spin on it. Um, so I think if you go through the E as we can think about what you maybe would experience if you came to one of our academies, mm, the Mosaic Learning Architect Academy uh, is something that we do and certify people in. And it means that you know how to build a bell-to-bell -bell experience based, based on our methodology and in a way that will empower your students, give mm -hmm. them autonomy, ownership, um, agency over their own learning, and in a way that will be that relief, give you that sense of relief that I'm talking about, like in the summer, don't you want to feel that? The idea that um, I've thought about this intentionally, I've made decisions for next year, I know that they're sound and, you know, now we can move forward. So our first E is entry. And when we train entry, we use multiple entry point lesson starters. Mm -hmm. So at our academy, you'll learn how to um, craft 
different questions that students come into and, and all kinds of great stuff. Our next E, go ahead. Then there's exploration of learning. So we take the voices that and the the established kind of internalization of the content from that entry experience, add it to others. And in Academy, we we kind of really role play that a lot and, and have a lot of fun with that, but also really yeah. drive the point home of that idea of post and then how that connects to our proprietary strategy taxonomy so that you can really kind of move your experiences from that teacher-directed to student-directed experiences and um, and some of the nuance in there. And that that's why a lot of the focus is around that active learning and that um, exploration E from and there. And it's so much fun. We have so much fun. And from there, we talk about um, our next E, which is examples for learning. This is when we help students to... Um, conduct their own kind of formative assessments mm-hmm. and to uh, examine their work against an established criteria, right? So yep. we use that acronym ACE, which is to do an action, um, compare, and then edit if necessary, or ACER, revise. or edit or revise, right? So we're, we're considering. Um, but that's really a small moment that is kind of everything. Mm-hmm. It, it is game-changing in the classroom. Game-changing. Yeah. Absolutely, because it, it speaks to the most important piece of the whole teaching puzzle, which is independence and um, and content ownership from the students. So from that point vantage point, we then have really a well-crafted elaboration of learning, our fourth E. So we, we talk a lot about how to, and that's where um, we made a little mention of it earlier, but that's how we kind of consider our objective choices and how those, those objectives can be crafted into more of like an aim um, and something very specific and poignant um, from the vantage point of uh, content, skill, and application and how students can really reflect on their whatever the focus was for the day and, and do a reflection on that in particular. And again, that really speaks to that long-term retention of the material. And gives you closure. Yeah. And then from there, we're going to ask our students to take what they've learned, show us what they can do now as a result of having done all of these exercises alone together, you know, mm-hmm. elaborating, looking at established criteria for success and take all of that and apply it to new and varied situations, the evaluation of learning. Yep. So this is our summative assessment moment where we're figuring out um, you know, what they're going to be able to do against the rigor of the standard. Sure. Um, yep. That's good. And how they're going to be able to apply their understandings in relevant, realistic, authentic, you know, all of the different ways. Yeah. So this is where maybe a performance tasks come in into play or you, you really have to consider what the standards are asking for and how the standard is assessed in the first place on the state tests. So there, there could be procedural standards. There could be declarative standards. It just depends on the type. And, and it's very important to know. Um, that about 40% of your standards in any content area are procedural and uh, 60% are declarative. So understanding the difference between the two and where that really, how that shapes and forms uh, the ways that you can assess students will just 
raise the bar in terms of uh, mm-hmm. getting them to to increase their test scores and and their confidence. More important than the numbers is just the confidence to sit down and be prepared for that moment. Um, like I was mentioned a few times today and in this episode and in others, we look at that state test scoring and the t- state testing, I should say, as a genre, as a way that it's a, it's a part of the process. It's not the only it's- thing we're not... It's not, just something to prepare for. Correct. And it's not a secret. It's not an end all be all. It's not like once we get over that, you know, bridge, we're, we're, yeah, we're to not, the assessment land, test land. It's, it's, here's something else you have to deal with. Yeah. The everyone. good news is we never here's have how to deal with it. Yeah. We never have to say, and none of our teachers ever have to say we're teaching to the test. Um, because what we're doing is we're teaching in such a way that the test becomes another part of that, that process and that puzzle. And, and so it's, it's more like we're, we're teaching in such a way that that's covered. Um, and, and if you think about it that way, then that's it. Um, it's kind of synapse. It covers everything. For all of these nuggets and more, please consider coming to one of our academies. You can find us at mosaicip.com slash MLA, Mosaic Learning Architect. So we would love to host you for either one of our two-day or four-day academy experiences where we unpack all of this bell-to-bell methodology from bell-to-bell. It's hands-on, it's experiential, it's fun, it's motivating, it's inspiring, and it's critically important right now as you are refreshing and learning about um, and thinking on your process, your methodology, how you're going to implement all of this into your classrooms in mm-hmm. the fall and going forward and beyond. Um, yeah. and beyond. So we hope you liked hearing a little bit um, of explanation of how we see things, how we are enacting our mission to carry out our vision of providing equity and access to rigorous and engaging content for all students in any learning environment. And um, hope until, to see you at MLA. Yeah, and until next time, right? Happy, happy planning. planning. Hey, everybody. This is the unseen but ever-present Waterman. Thank you for listening to Dumplings Over Flowers. Our current plan is to have new episodes every other week, so be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube or follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find us on YouTube or on social by searching Dumplings Over Flowers or at Dumplings Pod. That's at Dumplings, P-O-D. Also, don't be afraid to leave a comment on our YouTube channel. Your comments, questions, or stories may very well inspire the conversation in our next episode. If you would like to know more about our cloud-based lesson planning platform, you can visit mosaicip.com. And if you're interested in signing up for the Mosaic Learning Architect Academy, you can get more information and register online at mosaicip.com forward slash MLA. That's mosaicip.com forward slash MLA. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.